When a man in New Delhi has a dream that Lord Ganesh wants some milk, he decides to bring some milk to the local Hindu temple. Little does he know he's about to set off a worldwide firestorm. Then we travel back in time to discuss a personal paranormal story of mine to end Cursed Episodes Week. I've never told this story in full to anyone. I can't promise you will be safe after listening to this episode. Could be a figment of my imagination. Or he could be real. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I really do, and I hope you guys have some fun plans for the weekend. We actually have a really good episode today. We have a nice story, and then a story that may may, may redefine the idea of a cursed story. But we'll talk about that in a second. I'll give you some fair warning. Sit back, enjoy this first episode, and look who's enjoying it right now, coming into Dead Rabbit Command, sliding on a slip and slide. Whee! It's our newest Patreon supporter, St. Canid. He's wearing like an old, old-timey swimsuit. It's like with the stripes. It's like the tank top with the stripes. Everyone give a round of applause. He's spinning around in the slip and slide. Don't worry, you'll get your turn. We're all going on the slip and slide now. St. Canid, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, or if you don't have old-timey swimsuits, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Now, you'll notice something as you're taking your turn on the slip and slide. St. Canid has a big smile on his face. He's having a lot of fun with this. Because it's not water. It took you a while to realize this. It's not water on the slip and slide. He's been pouring milk on the slip and slide the whole time. We obviously aren't very observant because we wouldn't have gone down a slip and slide full of milk. The rest of the episode, we're swatting ants off of us and flies. But it is theme appropriate. St. Canid, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dreadnought. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command and we're headed out to India. Dreadnought is cresting the waves of the Pacific Ocean as we make our way out to India. I found this story just the other day, and I'm shocked by it. I'm shocked by it for a couple reasons. We'll get into it. I understand the story itself, but I don't understand the moving parts around the story. But I stumbled across this article. It was written by Michael Grosso. I'm sure sure that's not how you pronounce his name. Maybe. But Michael Grosso, he writes for this website called Consciousness Unbound. It's his own website. This article was called A Mass Scientific Mystery in India. It's September 22nd, 1995. Very, very recent story. Well, let me rephrase that. It's actually close to 25 years old. But I was alive in 1995. So that makes it very, very recent. We're in the city of New Delhi. A man is sleeping in bed. Uh, uh, And he's rolling around in the bed. And then (gasps) he wakes up. (laughs) You like this theater of the mind? You totally pictured that, didn't you? And this guy had just had a dream that Lord Ganesh, the elephant-headed god of wisdom in Hinduism, said, I want milk. He might have been, he might have, he's the god of wisdom. I think he might have been able to say it with a couple more $5 words, made it a little more, like, snazzy. And he just didn't stare at the man. The whole dream was just this elephant-headed god staring at the man going, milk, 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 milk. And the guy's like, how long is this dream? Basically, Lord Ganesh says, I want milk. I want it. 
I want it right now. So the dude wakes up and he's like, oh, dude, that was a super weird dream. Um, there's a God in my dream. How often do you actually dream about... I've had one dream with Jesus in it. That's not even correct. I had a dream where... I've told this story before. I've dreamt about Satan a lot. Like, I've had a lot of dreams where Satan was the bad guy. But I had a dream and it had nothing... To, it was just a normal dream. And then something happened and there was a knock at my door and I opened the door. And Satan was standing at the door. And he had sliced off Jesus' face and was wearing it like a mask. And he did this little toe-tap routine. And it wasn't like the devil with like the red horns and the pointy tail. Like It was this slender man who I just instinctively knew was the devil. And he had like these two big buff bodyguards standing behind him. I opened the door and I just see this kind of slender man in a really, really nice business suit. Do a little toe-tap. Da-da-da-da-da. And my eyes are just drawn to the face of Jesus Christ had been carved off. Like you could, you know, like the eye, like leather face, basically. And it was very visible and recognizable that it was Jesus's face on this guy. And I woke up screaming. It was ter. It was a ter. I remember screaming in the nightmare and I, I was screaming in, in my sleep. I woke up. I was screaming so loud. I woke myself up. But other than that, <laughs> that horrifying story, I don't, I don't know how often people dream about religious figures. But this dream was... He, he obviously doesn't have this dream a lot. He jumps up. He gets some milk out of the kitchen. And he goes to a local temple. And let me read you this quote. Let me read you, This is the first part where things start to go sideways for me. Let me read you this quote from Michael Grosso's article. Quote, The man dashed out to the first temple to make a milk offering to the statue of Ganesh. Much to his amazement, he watched the milk disappear before his eyes. The impossible nature of what he saw was obvious. Unquote. So a guy brings in the milk, and it disappears. Now that's impossible. Milk just doesn't disappear. Nothing just disappears. Nothing just disappears. I mean, stuff can evaporate over time, but even if you took like a, a, like a water into a sauna, it's not like you go to take a drink, you're like, ugh. But of course I keep reading because I love paranormal stuff. I immediately go, what? That's lame. Throw it away. I'm like, what? It doesn't conform to normal science. But it put a little pin in my brain. I go, that's impossible. I have to fact check that later. I'll have to see. Because in 1995, I'm thinking there has to be other sources on this. Or it's just, you know, creepypasta. The word gets out. Dude, did you hear the new thing? Did you hear that new boy band? Milk disappears. Everyone's like, what? Oh, no, it sounds totally awesome. Word gets out all over New Delhi. If you bring milk to a statue of Ganesh, and eventually they find out you can bring milk to any statue of any Hindu deity, the milk will disappear. So all over town, two things are happening. People are bringing milk to shrines and temples, and people who sell milk are jacking up the price. Ka-ching! I guess to the point where people are leaving their work. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, right? You're not going to be like, hey, boss, you know, I really want to go see if, you know, our gods are real, but I got to do these reports, you know? Can I go find out? No, Charlie, you got to keep doing those reports. People are leaving their jobs. The stock market in Mumbai, back then it was called Bombay, but the stock market in Mumbai shut down. People were leaving the stock market. They're like, oh, we can, we can make profits tomorrow. Let's go find this out. Word began to spread around the globe. Hey, Joe, remember when you left New Delhi? Ha ha ha, what a rube. The gods here are drinking milk. 
You'd never expect that phone call, right? And it turns out in Hindu temples all over the world, if you bring milk to one of these statues, the milk disappears. This thing spreads worldwide. And at this point, journalists from around the world are covering it as well. They're doing news segments on it. They're sending reporters out to these temples to see if there's any truth to this story. And you start to have some journalists go, I've never seen anything like this. This milk is being brought to the temple. The milk disappears. Then you have other journalists go, yeah, I've never seen anything like it either, but this is a waste of milk. But I mean, That's a little short-sighted, right? You're seeing proof of a world full of deities, but don't waste that milk. It's like all of a sudden your mom is running a newspaper. This goes on for 24 hours. You bring milk to a Hindu temple, it will disappear. And then after that, it stops. Apparently it's happened a few more times, but that was the time when it was the most widespread. And that's the story about the milk-drinking statues of the Hindu gods. Now, I read that, and I just told you that story, and I'm sure you have the same questions I had when I read it. My main question was, obviously, is it true? And I go, if all these journalists are covering this, there has to be footage of it. But it was a gamble because it's 1995. They didn't have an internet. As we know it back then, they weren't saving as much video footage. So when I went to go look for video footage, I thought this might actually be very difficult. I was wrong. There's a lot of video footage of this, but it is not what we thought. (laughs) Not at least what I thought. You'd probably be like, dude, of course it wasn't that, you dork. You dork, what were you thinking? Let's go back to that original quote. The man dashed out to the first temple to make a milk offering to the statue of Ganesh. Much to his amazement, he watched the milk disappear before his eyes. What does that imply to you? You know you're going to have to do homework in this episode. What does that imply to you? Because at this point, after I got done reading the article, I thought, this is an amazing miracle. Like, this is on the level of, like, the Fatima, the visitations of Mother Mary. This is... On the level, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of Catholics who would disagree, but if you strip away your own personal biases, whichever religion you practice, it would you would be hard-pressed to say that a vision of Jesus, like just like a shape of him in the clouds, that's nothing compared to, that's nothing compared to all these statues drinking milk. So I was like, how do we not know about this? This is how I visualize this. This is how I visualize this. Man walks in with a cup of milk, and the milk just disappeared out of the cup. That would be something you could bring people in, totally objective observers, and they could look at the cup of milk and watch the milk disappear. But that's not what they were doing. I was so disappointed when I started watching videos on this. What they were doing is they were taking spoonfuls of milk. So the smaller amount of milk, the easier it is to make mistakes. A gallon of milk disappearing is far harder to explain or hand wave than a teaspoon of milk. They would take milk, And they would hold it to the mouth of the statue. And they would slightly turn the spoon. And then the milk would disappear. So that's... That's... I was so disappointed. I actually thought like milk was dematerializing. They were spilling it. Now, here's the thing. I I will allow that some of it may have been a miracle. I'm not going to say that every single person who did this was spilling it. There was one reporter I was watching a video on, and they were saying that the guy held the spoon for him, and he goes, I saw the milk disappear. He goes, but I noticed he was kind of holding it at an angle. So I asked to hold the spoon the second time, and he goes, I just tipped it slightly, and all the milk disappeared. 
the idea was it was going into their mouth. But when you're reading reports of this, they were saying like there was no milk anywhere. It was like you'd put the milk in the spoon, you'd put it to its mouth, you would tip it slightly, and then there'd be no milk except for inside the statue's tummy. But the video, the videos that are online, there's milk all over the statue. You can actually there was one scene I kept rewatching because because I wanted to be sure. You can see just briefly a drop of milk drop off the statue's chin. And then you do see milk on the tray that the statue's on. So that's that's just uh, spilling milk. That's spilling milk on statues. But I will say it's interesting because let's put on our conspiracy caps for this one. We're going to wrap it up like this. This is a really old story. And I find it very, very interesting that I had never heard of this. Not like I'm the end-all be-all of paranormal knowledge. But like I said, we can talk about the... A miracle at Fatima, where, you know, Mother Mary showed up and she gave the prophecy to these young girls. And we always hear about Jesus and Mary appearing in, like, stonework or on toast or in clouds or whatever, these visitations. But this event was, like, a huge global event. How come we don't know about it? How come it's not even part of... It, it, it is just as... Even with the spilling of the milk, even with the spilling of milk, I'll get to that in a second, but it, it's on the level of a stain appearing on a wall in the shape of a Christian religious figure. It's actually far more, more witnesses. It's global. I just can't understand why it's not a bigger story. It could be a big story in India and not a big story in the West. It's definitely possible. But let's put on our conspiracy caps for a second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. It's possible, and this is why I don't totally dismiss it. It's possible that this was a miracle and it was happening and people weren't spilling the milk. It was actually going into the statue's mouth and no one could figure it out. And there may be tons of video evidence showing that, but we can't let that get out, right? In a world where people kill each other over religions, who wants to have proof that one religion had this mass global miracle? So the only videos that continue to exist based on this are the videos that people could use to debunk it. The video where they're clearly spilling milk and then turn into the camera and go, see? I fed it milk. So that's why I'm not totally discounting this. I was a little disappointed that the milk just didn't magically disappear. But it's possible that this was such a conclusively proven miracle that not only did they let the story die out after a day and they moved on to whatever else they were talking about in 1995, not only is the story super obscure even in the world of paranormal research, but the only evidence that you can find on YouTube is evidence that would point to it being fake. It could be the fact that a bunch of people got whipped up in a religious fervor and bought a bunch of milk and spilled it everywhere. Or it could be the fact that that is what was caught on video. While in temples all over the world, believers of the Hindu religion were feeding their gods. St. Canid, let's call on that carpenter copter. We're going to say goodbye to New Delhi. We're going to wave goodbye. We got gallons of milk. We got so much milk. Look, 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 look. We got a new slip and slide ready in the back of the carpenter copter. Our bones are going to be super strong by the end of this episode. But while we're drinking our while we're drinking our body weight and milk, St. Canid, I want you to take us out of New Delhi. We are headed back to the United States, specifically... We're headed to San Lorenzo, California. This is the last warning I'm going to give for this. It's really the last warning I can give for it. Because after this, the segment starts. 
I've never told this story in full to anybody. I don't know what the implications of this story are. This story could be a figment of my imagination. It could be the story of a ghost. It could be a curse. It could be by you hearing this story, you may meet this person. I'm not trying to hype this up. I don't do ARGs. I don't do LARPs. And nothing could come of this at all. It could just be some weird experience that I had. Not a LARP, not an ARG. I wouldn't waste your time or mine with that. But I just don't know what the implications of this story are. So, you guys want to swing back by Monday? We're not doing Curse Episodes Week. I think we're going to do a Zack Snyder Week. I'm so excited for Justice League. I'm so excited for Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'll tell paranormal stories. I'm not just going to talk about superheroes. But I might try to find some cool themes in there. Like a zombie one for Dawn of the Dead of his movie. An old one for 300. But anyways, if that's the case, because again, I don't know, I don't know about this story. Um, if that's the case, I will see you guys Monday. But for the rest of you, St. Canid, St. Canid is unfortunately stuck on this episode, but it might work out to have a saint. A little bit of backstory. The story itself is actually quite short, but let me give you a little bit of backstory here. A long-time listener to the show know that I've struggled with anxiety, and that has almost completely disappeared since I gave up caffeine. If you guys have anxiety issues, 100% give up caffeine. My life has changed stress-wise since I've given up caffeine. I gave up nicotine, and I was still on edge a lot, but I gave up caffeine, cold turkey, and I feel fantastic. But I've struggled with anxiety since I was a kid. I remember originally I would get anxiety attacks about choking. I remember when I was a little kid, I heard a story about a neighbor. I don't even think it was a neighbor. I think I visualized it as a neighbor. I think it was a relative of a neighbor. Husband and a wife, they'd gotten married recently. The wife goes to bed. The husband's staying up to watch movies, eating popcorn. When she came downstairs the next morning, he was blue. Piece of popcorn got stuck in his throat and he suffocated. Or choked, I think is the actual term. That story terrified me. I think I must have been six or seven when I heard that story. It totally stuck with me. I visualized her coming down the stairs. I could imagine the whole situation, the blue light of the television set. Dark room. His head looking up at the ceiling. Completely blue. He was just sitting there. Throws the popcorn into his mouth. Goes down the wrong pipe. He dies. It's funny because this is the first time I've really talked about this story. I've talked about that story uh, to other people, but I think that's the first time. It's definitely the first time I've ever <laughs> I've ever recorded it publicly. As I'm telling that story, I'm thinking that that's not how it would have happened. She came down in the morning and found him dead. When you choke, you don't freeze in place. It's not like uh, it's not like Flash Gordon shot you with a freeze ray. He probably would have been on the ground. I mean, it's not like, it's so funny because that's less scary. There's little birds flying around, not in the house, but you know, outside it's daylight. It's so tragic the guy died, but I always had this image of this body sitting in a couch, turned blue, doing what I love doing, watching movies. I remember I had a big problem with choking. I was always afraid I was going to choke. I was always afraid um, to encounter people who were choking. I was always afraid to go to stand at comic shows and I'm like, oh no, he's choking and I'm running out. Like I, I would over, th- this is when I was younger, I would over obsessively chew my food. And I remember my dad once said, he goes, 
you eat in cafeterias all the time, like in high school and, you know, grade school, you've eaten in cafeterias, all this stuff. I was like, yeah. And he goes, have you ever, have you ever seen anyone choke outside of a movie or some story that you had heard? And I go, no. He goes, you, you have seen thousands of people eat over the years, going to restaurants, going to parks, eating school lunches. He goes, you've seen thousands of people eat. You've never seen people choke. It's actually really, really tough or rare for people to choke. It does happen. So that was, but the thing with anxiety, like even though I was told that I go, that makes sense. I've, I've never seen anyone choke. I've never given anyone the Heimlich maneuver, but it still kind of stuck with me. I remember when I moved up here, I must've been like 36, 37. No, it was probably closer to like 35, 36. I was working on a story about a man named Mr. Slip or Mr. Branch or something like <laughs> something like that. Mr. No, it wasn't that, but I was a huge fan of the Max and they had a villain on it called Mr. Gone. And I've always loved just like that imagery. And I'm, I'm a derivative hack when it comes to writing. That's why I write Leprechaun fan fiction. I remember I came up with this character who was this diabolical sorcerer who existed in the modern age. One of the things he would do, some of you old-time listeners will recognize this, something else I talked about. One of the things he would do is he would uh, put mushrooms in the forest, and they were like psychedelic mushrooms. And then if you ate one, you'd get super high, and it would be like the best high ever, and then... It would start to turn into this terror high, like you're getting really, really panicked. And what you realize during your trip is that when you ate that mushroom, you were living out someone else's life. So you experience like all the joys of childhood and then it starts to get harder as they're going through college. And then there's like divorce and alcoholism and then the life starts getting more trashy. And then you realize at the end of your trip, you are walking through the forest looking for a mushroom to eat. And that person eats the mushroom. Basically, the point is... <laughs> the point is... Is you're the mushroom. Like, Mr. Sleeve... I don't remember his name. But Mr. Sleeve... He would... you He'd put these mushrooms in the ground. You'd eat one. You would turn into a mushroom. You're the mushroom. So then you're just sitting there on the forest floor, totally sentient. And you're, like, locked in this state of eternal pain until someone else comes along and eats you... And then they live your life. And now there's two people in the mushroom. It was dumb. <laughs> it was stupid. Like, it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. But, you know, it needed to be fleshed out a bit. So Mr. Sleeve needed some work, right? Mr. Sleeve as a villain needed some work. But he was just this diabolical person. And I remember once I was walking through the parking lot of the local Walmart. Nice sunny afternoon. I was drinking a soda, listening to music. And I was working on my book in my head, and I was thinking about Mr. Sleeve. And I remember him giving a monologue to somebody in the story. It was like a collection of short stories, but Mr. Mr. (laughs) Sleeve was the main villain throughout all of them. And he was giving this monologue, and he goes, The human heart, it is the thing that gives us life, pumps blood through us. It is our friend the whole time. When we get scared, it beats faster. It's trying to give us more blood flow to deal with the fear in front of us. When we're comforted, it slows down. It lets us relax. It's like our best friend in our body. Every other organ can have an adversarial part of it. Your liver's full of poison. Your kidneys are full of pee. 
but your heart is your best friend. And so a heart attack is the ultimate betrayal. A heart attack is your heart giving up. It's leaving you behind. It's done with you. It wants nothing else to do with you. It will kill itself just to kill you. I remember I was walking through the parking lot and I played that monologue out in my head and I came to a standstill. Like, I just stopped walking. Up until that that point in my life, I never thought about having a heart attack. Ever. Never occurred to me that I was at risk for a heart attack. That was actually back when I was my heaviest. I'm like 70 pounds lighter than I was back then. Up until that point, so that would put me at 350 if you don't know my weight, because I talk about it on and off during the show, but 350 pounds. And and it was not until that moment in my life did I ever think that I could have a heart attack. And since then, my anxiety exhibits itself as a heart attack. Chest pains, the tightness, the tingling left arm. You're like, Jason, you probably should go get that checked out. I have been checked out by doctors Multiple times. And both times, you know, I quit caffeine because I was throwing my heart out of rhythm by abusing caffeine and nicotine. I've done it twice. But other than that, I'm going in for a stress test tomorrow. They're going to put me on a treadmill for 45 minutes and they're going to run all these tests. And me and my cardiologist are, and he goes, dude, you're so young to even have a cardiologist. But he goes, we know what's going to happen. You're going to take the stress test. Everything's going to be fine. You've passed every single test. You have a healthy heart. You got to lose weight because you have a healthy heart now. You're not going to have a healthy heart in five years if you're still walking around 280 pounds. That's just the, the fact of the matter. But right now, Jason, the fact that you're afraid that you might just fall over from a heart attack, it's not going to happen. They've done all sorts of, like, the extra, the sonograms on the heart. Everything works out perfectly. My cholesterol's great. But yet, when I have an anxiety attack, it exhibits itself as a heart issue because of that moment, because of that fictional character I created and that monologue. A heart attack is the ultimate betrayal of your best friend. It wants you to die so badly it kills itself fictional character that I made up. (laughs) Mr. Sleeve! I think the power of the imagination cannot be denied. And the reason why I wanted to start off telling that story because this story I'm about to tell you is, is quite short and it's very, very possible that it is all in my imagination. I actually would, I would bet money that it was in my imagination if it wasn't for something else that I stumbled across a few years ago. But even now, I'm just so, I just don't know, guys. And this, if it's in my imagination, it's in my imagination. If it's something else, it's pretty, pretty rough. We're in San Lorenzo. The year's 1992. And this is the year that my parents are getting a divorce. I was a sophomore in high school at the time. I had a girlfriend. I was trying out for the football team. I had a bunch of friends. It was dope. It was dope. Getting really good grades. My parents were getting a divorce. And that's when I was like, dude, what's the point of like trying to get good grades and stuff like that? And I really just started sucking at school. I just didn't care anymore. But before that, I was like, oh, you know, everything's going to be great. I'm going to be a journalist. You know, this is what I want to do. Got a cute girlfriend. Got a lot of friends. 
And the divorce didn't really hit me that hard. Like, I understood because I'd already dealt with anxiety my whole life and the frailty of existence and the fact that at any point someone could die. I think I always just figured that stuff would fall apart eventually. Entropy. I'm an optimist. I am the the biggest optimist you'll ever meet who has anxiety issues. So when my parents were getting a divorce, other siblings were totally freaking out. Um, they are having their own issues with it. And I just thought, this is the way things are. Like, our parents aren't perfect people. Our parents are flawed people. I love them. I still love them to this day, but they're flawed. They're humans. They're flawed. So they're going to make flawed decisions. I'm not going to say that it didn't affect me at all, but it was more of a, this is just the way things are type of moment. My life will be more difficult going forward. I knew that being 15, I go, things aren't going to be as easy as they were. And they weren't easy before either. And that was the thing. I knew that we struggled with poverty growing up as a family. So I thought, ah, it's just, I know how single families are. A lot of my friends are in single families. My life's not going to be great. Probably going to have to move. Probably going to lose this life that I've built. But such is existence. Was kind of my attitude when I was 15 years old. But I could tell that something was going on in the house. I was actually the first kid to realize that our parents were going to separate. Everyone else kind of lived in their own bubble. And and it could be the fact, I've talked about it before, that I can sense emotional disturbances. I knew something was wrong in that house. The house seemed perfect, but it was like psychic energy cleaved its way through our home. That scared me. I could understand divorce. I could understand the foibles of human emotion. But this was something else. I remember one day I came home. I was a latchkey kid. My mom worked. My dad worked. One day I came home. I was all by myself. I walked right through the front door. Now this was a two-story house. This was the one time we weren't poor, actually, when we had a really, really nice house. Two-story house. It was right next to the high school, and right next to Arroyo High School, a nice little park next door. I walked into the house, opened the door. I was the only one in the house, and I immediately felt that I was not the only person in the house. And then I heard it. Shink, 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 shink. The unmistakable sound of a knife sharpening. Now, obviously, I had never been in a kitchen. I obviously been into kitchens. My mom's like, get out of here, you bum. Learn to chew your food correctly. But you know that sound of like someone sharpening a knife? I've seen it in movies, action movies. Ah, Bond, we meet again. Schlink, schlink. It was overly exaggerated, though. It was like something you would see in an action or a horror movie. And I remember walking into the house. And I hear that sound, shlink, 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 a knife being sharpened. And I just stopped. Now, the layout of this house was, it was like a, it was like a track house, you know, they're just like 15 of them built in a row, but you had a wide, someone lives in that house today. You'd have a wide open, like, foyer area. Then you had the little, like, living room, the kitchen, and then you had the stairs going up, and then you had mom's bedroom, and then our bedrooms. You had, like, a long walkway up there. And I stopped in this large foyer area, and I hear the sound, shlink, shlink, shlink. 
and I slowly look up to the walkway. I just remembered another part of this story. (sighs) Great. Okay, so anyways, I'm... So anyways, I'm standing there, and I'm looking up. I'm about 15 years old. It's the middle of the day. And I look up. And I'm looking at the walk. So you have the walkway and there's like safety railing there with like the the grates in it. Not the grates, but you know, like the slats in it. It's just like a standard staircase thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You have the bar to make sure no one falls off. And then you have the, the bars that are going vertically to keep it. Uh, basically, you guys know what I'm talking about. So I'm looking up there and it's this walkway and I still hear the sound. Shlink, shlink. The sound is coming from my parents' room. And it's loud. And I remember just standing there. And I'm staring up. And I can't see into my parents' room. I can see the doorway. But I don't know what's going on in the room. All I know is the sound is getting louder. Schlink, 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 schlink. Louder and louder to the point, no joke, it gets so loud, I remember, like in a movie, cupping my hands over my ears, and the sound is still getting louder and louder. I'm almost ready to fall to my knees. The sound is literally deafening me. And then I hear, a deep laugh. <laughs> and the sound disappears. I don't remember what happened after that. I don't... I didn't throw my backpack down and go watch MTV. I don't remember if I went back outside, if I waited for somebody to come home. The next thing I remember concerning this story is me shaking. I'm 15 years old again. This I'm not like eight. I remember I was terrified. I was shaking. And my mom and my dad were trying to console me. And they were saying, you didn't hear anything, Jason. You're just stressed. There's stuff going on. But I remember, I remember clear as day, both of my parents looking at each other, very concerned. Very, very concerned. Not concerned on a paranormal front. And my dad, I've talked about these stories. I'll put them in the show notes. My dad has had confrontations with demons before. He was a Southern Baptist minister. He's had issues with demons. He's met other ministers and deacons that have had issues with demons. He's not someone who's like, oh, that's poppycock. He knows this stuff exists. And my mother has had issues with them as well. She knows this stuff exists. But I remember that look of... Concern was more like, is our son going crazy? Is he hallucinating? Is the stress of this marriage breaking apart affecting him? 
but I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. I have an idea, though. There was a part of the, the long pause. That wasn't planned. When I was remembering myself standing on the floor. Which where humans normally stand. When I remember myself standing in the foyer looking up, I remember this didn't happen at the same time. This didn't happen at the same time. But I remember looking up at that walkway with the staircase. I'm not going to describe it again, but it had bars on it. I remember looking up at one point at that walkway and someone was crouched down with their face pressed against the bars looking at me. A big smile on their face. A glimmer? Imagination. It had to be my imagination. I didn't even equate the knives with anything paranormal. And of course I have an interactive imagination. Mr. Sleeve! Mr. Sleeve gave me an anxiety attack. I am constantly crafting these stories in my head. So the fact that a kid who believes in ghosts and believes in paranormal one day is walking by and he looks up and he thinks he sees someone crouched down and looking through the bars at him with a big smile on his face. I, I never really chalked... I actually completely forgot that I had seen that. And again, I, I don't maybe didn't see anything. Maybe it was just a trick of the light. It did look like it was maybe just a couple of feet from my mom's and my dad's bedroom. But I didn't really equate the two things. It was just when I was telling that story about the knives in the bedroom, I remembered that. And that would have been it. I, I remembered the story about hearing the knives. I remember that being really scared of the, the, my mom and dad's bedroom for a while. Not like everyone in there, but it doesn't matter. I imagined, I thought there was somebody in there. I didn't equate it as a paranormal event when it happened. I thought that someone had actually broken into the house and was up there sharpening a knife to get me. But fast forward years later, I don't know when this started. And it's been a while since it's happened, but it lasted for quite a while. Overactive imagination. I'd call him the man with the knife. I never saw him. Never saw him. But I'd sense him. When I got really stressed out or really depressed, which is rare, which is rare for me. I don't really get depressed. But when I get really stressed out, like above and beyond ending up in the ER from too much caffeine, just like life-altering stress. I'm going to get evicted from an apartment, loss of a loved one, like those biggies, right? Not just like, oh no, they're canceling The Walking Dead. We're not talking about stuff like that. There would be a man behind me with a knife. I never saw him. It's not a visual hallucination, but I would sense a man standing behind me with a knife. He was wearing a long sleeve black jacket with the tails on it, one of those old formal jackets. And his hair was black and wild. Long black slacks. Dull black shoes. And a rictus grin. One of those creepy smiles that seems to dominate the entire face. And when I would be in these moments of anxiety, he would stand behind me with this knife. And it wasn't like a kitchen knife. It seemed almost ceremonial. And he would just stand there behind me. I could sense him. I could describe him in detail. He had wide eyes. 
but his pupils were tiny. And he would just stand there behind me with that dagger. If I was sitting in a chair up against the wall, it didn't matter. He was standing there behind me with that dagger. It terrified me, obviously. And it brought back memories of what I heard in my house. Because you have the imagery of not only the knife, but the smile, the delight in my terror. Years later, years and years later, the, the man with the knife didn't show up until I was an adult. I didn't start having... That, that happened when I was 15. I didn't start sensing the man with the knife. And if I remember correctly, because it's like one of those things. When you get a skin tag, someone goes, when would you get that? And you're like, I don't know. It's been here for a long time. I didn't really pay attention until it got this big. So I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure it was like late 20s, early 30s. The man with the knife. But years after I started experiencing this thing, and a lot of times I just waved it. I just, I'm just so stressed out. I'm, I'm created this tulpa in my mind. It's a manifestation of my stress. I feel like Damocles' sword is hanging over my head. That's not spooky enough for me. So I've created this other image. And I've survived all of that stuff. All of those anxious moments that I had, I've survived them. And you will survive your anxious moments as well. But years after this started, I came across an online comic. Which makes the whole story even more bizarre. I gotta give a shout out to Twitter user at Delphi1916. Because I put out a call for this comic. I had come across it a few times over the years, but I had lost track of it. At Delphi1916 found it for me, so shout out to you. This comic is actually from a graphic novel called The Damned. You guys have probably seen this comic around. It's about a two-page illustration. It's a story of a killer called the Abbeymore. It goes through this, I'll put it in the show notes, but it goes through this thing that you are introduced to the story of this killer. They show versions of it as hieroglyphics. They show versions of it as uh, writing during like Elizabethan times. The point is, is that the story is the story of a man called the Abbeymore. And if you read the story, you have to then show the story or present the story to someone else or he will kill you. He basically threatens you to share the story. And we see it start off in Egyptian times. And then we see it like Elizabethan times. And then it ends with a guy, a guy who's watching a news report, like a Ripley's Believe It or Not news report on this bizarre story everyone believes. And it turns out that the news reporter had also been threatened by the Abamore. And they show a man, oddly enough, this is a very, very interesting detail. The last panel of the comic is the newscaster going, I'm sorry, whoever is watching this, I was forced to show you this. And there is a man, he's dead, in his living room, watching television, blue light illuminating the room. Just like my childhood fear of the man who had choked. Now, this Abbeymore character, he's not throwing popcorn into people's mouth. He stands behind you with a knife. The only thing that's visible on him is he is a black shadow. You see a collar, so he's wearing some sort of jacket. And a huge grin spread across his face. Now, obviously, the the rictus grin is creepy. The Joker uses it. Um, They actually used it in the cartoon, the Max, the It's, the little creatures that are running around in Max. Have that. It's a creepy image when someone has an overly wide smile. I remember seeing this comic strip, and it just knocked me for a loop. I go, this is something I have seen myself. But in more detail, not less. And it made the idea of the man with the knife, it made him less of a fictional character by seeing it represented in someone else's fiction. 
Now, there's just a few elements that are the same, but they're the most <laughs> important elements of the story. The grin, him sneaking up behind you with a knife. And there's one more element to the story. One more thing that makes it match this other character, the Abby Moore. And one more thing that made me cautious to tell this story to you. When the man with the knife is standing behind me, holding that knife, like he's ready to strike, he's holding it up like he's ready to stab me. I guess I didn't make that clear. He's not just like bouncing it on his finger. It's like he's about to stab me at any moment. He's standing there, hand raised, ready to stick me in the back with this knife. Huge smile spread across his face. He's not looking at me. He never looks at me. I can sense him behind me, but I can't sense the eyes on the back of my head. When I see him with my mind's eye, standing there behind me holding that knife, huge smile on his face, He's not looking at me. He's looking at you. He's looking at you. <sighs> DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. This is not, that is not <laughs> creepypasta either. It's not creepypasta either. He's looking at somebody else. He's looking over my shoulder, over my head. His wide eyes are staring, not at me, but at you. So by telling this story, have I now invited him into your life as well? Guess we'll find out. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your... <laughs> you're, real, you're real lackadaisical about that. Oh, thanks for spreading the demon. I haven't seen him in a while, so for all I know, he's traveling the Bermuda Islands. But DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>